0: love your work do you think it's possible well you're about to find out it's time for 48 days to the work you love with Dan Miller on the 48 days online radio show whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul this is the program for you now here's your host Dan Miller well here we are in between Thanksgiving and Christmas hey what a great time to be figuring out What we want 2014 to look like. And yes, that's how it works. We don't just wait and see what happens. We decide now what we want to happen. So you put yourself in the driver's seat. I know you're not like most Americans who simply look at their life in the rearview mirror. Nope. You're in the driver's seat. You're going to determine what 2014 is going to look like. We're going to talk about that. In today's podcast, one of our sponsors is audiblepodcast.com. Now they have an amazing array of books. I'm going to give you some specific suggestions here in a little bit. How to get an audiobook, but that you can go to audiblepodcast.com/slash 48days and pick out a free book. So we'll be telling you more about that here in a little bit. Well, this is an interesting time of year. This is a time of year when it seems the Questions coming in are actually more discouraging. Now, the theme for today's podcast, I titled, Do You Feel Lost in the Wilderness of Your Life? That obviously comes from one of the questions where somebody feels lost in the wilderness of his life. Pretty poignant kind of image there. So we're going to be talking about that. Yeah, this is a time when it kind of comes to the forefront. What did you accomplish this year? Did you reach the goals that you set for 2013? If you didn't set any goals, do you, are you now kind of uh, feeling the regret of not having done that and of having just drifted along another year that looked just like the year before? You don't want to get caught in your own version of Groundhog Day where every year is just like the year before. The way you break out of that is to decide what it is you're willing to change to get new results. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to uh, last week I refused to dig into some of the discouraged, frustrated, angry, despondent, depressed emails about work because I didn't want to taint Thanksgiving week with that. But this week, yeah, I'm going to go ahead. We're going to get some in. I'm certainly not going to be able to even touch the tip of the iceberg, the quantity of, of questions that are coming in. But uh, we're going to pick out some, discuss those. Go through those together. Here's some of the questions we'll be looking at. Should I give up being a chiropractor? Now, that's a pretty tough question. What do you do if you've invested a whole lot of time, energy, and money in a degree program and then decide, I'm not even sure it's worth it? Dan, how can we encourage our kids to think and act like entrepreneurs? Hey, we'll have fun with that. How can I cover any job possibility on my resume? Now, there, you'll know the reason I picked that question, because uh, there's a lot of meat there to be unpacked. How do you cover any job possibility in resume? Well, you don't, and I'll tell you why. How can I make a case that I'm underpaid? And this is a time of year when a lot of people are anticipating at least getting that little 2 to 3% tiny increase that the companies often do. And a lot of companies are saying, yeah, we're not going to do that. How do you make a case... That you're underpaid, and then somebody says, "How can I spend seven hours a day in my job search if I'm working full time?" Well, we'll dig into those and more. Now, here's the the quotation I have for today that comes from. I wrote a blog piece on this this week. It comes from a movie that came out, and I think it was like 2011, called The Lamp. And in that, the genie in the bottle, the genie in the oil lamp, ask a question. And the question was this, if you could have anything you want in life without exception, as long as it's not something you can get on your own, what would it be? Now I posted that in 48days.net and I didn't want to unpack it a whole lot. I wanted to just ask it as it is. But now think about that. There's a qualifier in there. If you could have anything you want without exception, as long as it's not something you can get on your own, what would it be? Now, when you think about that, you realize most of the things that people ask for, if it's fame or fortune, you know, more money, a bigger house, a nicer car, better job, better health. I mean, all those things, who's in the driver's seat to make those happen? I know some people, you know, sit in their butt and hope they win the lottery, but you're not one of those people. You realize you're in the driver's seat. You have the potential. You're the one that's going to deliver. If you want more money, a better job, start your own business, better health, nicer car. Guess what? you probably have the capability to make that happen. So the question, yeah, it is kind of a trick question And people responded really quickly. You can go to 48 days.net forum and look at the question there and see how people are responding. They're saying, Hey, this is a trick. You know, I started to make a list and then I realized, wait a minute, as long as it's not something you can get on your own. Well, what is it that you would wish for? And I think it's healthy to go ahead and make a list of the things that you're wishing for, but then realize probably 99% of those you're in the driver's seat. You can make it happen. Well, we'll have fun looking at that and more. Now let me go to some of the uh, success stories for the week. This last Sunday night, there was a book launch right here at the sanctuary the, our converted barn just outside of Franklin, Tennessee. Many of you have been here for events, and we make it available, and people use it for lots of things. But Laura Henley and Marissa Ray just released their book, A Very Cranky Christmas, did a real classy event here. Had a nice vent, had it decorated for Christmas, had lots of good food, things around to enjoy, and then did a little keynote presentation on the devel- how the book developed It's a children's book, A Very Cranky Christmas. It talks about kids that are cranky if they don't have sugar treats around. So they had plenty of sugar treats to kind of tie in with the theme of the story. Did a great keynote presentation and then talked about how the book actually came into being. Now, even for a children's book, I mean, there's a lot that goes into birthing an idea like that. But it was a great event, and I commend them on doing You know what they are doing. They have a lot of ancillary products to go along with their book, which I encourage anybody to do. Usually a book is just a starting point for sharing your message. So they had other things. They have little audio products and they have little plaques that are painted and cards and note cards and things that, that go with their book so they can package it together and have um, more of a price point with things. I think they had some jewelry pieces as well. So anyway, congratulations to them. Now, if I started going through the list of people who have new books out that are in the 40 Days community, I'd spend the entire time we have just going through the list. But I also this week got a couple copies of Greg Sparks' new book called Bravado. Now, in the book, Greg does a really great job of dealing with the emotional issues behind a job search. It's not just a matter of sending out resumes and getting interviews. Many of us deal with, you know, fear, discouragement, frustration behind the scenes. You'll see that in some of the questions today, but Greg came to right to the bank here at the sanctuary in March of 2012. So what is that? About a year and a half ago, he went home, did what we laid out. And now he has a book to show for it, but he did a great job of unpacking those behind the scene components of the job transition process. Again, the book is called bravado. You can, Check it out on Amazon, get a copy. Another thing I want to just share here, which I consider a success story as well. I think it's just a fun kind of thing. About two, maybe three months ago, I had one of my little contests on a blog and said that I'd give away three copies of a book that somebody had sent me. And so I gave those out and I asked the three winners for their addresses and two of them gave me their addresses. We sent those out. The third one says, um, would it be okay if my wife and I came by and picked up that book? Said, well, well, sure, that's that's cool. You know, that's another kind of a personal connection there. So, you know, what you live in Nashville, you want to run down here to Franklin, Tennessee and pick it up? I said, sure, that'd be fine. Well, it turns out that Alexander and Franziska Braunletter live in London. They live in London. And they wanted to come by and pick up the book that they won from us. Well, last Sunday night, Joanne and I had a delightful time with, no, actually it was Monday, Monday evening. We had a delightful time with them, eating sushi at one of our favorite sushi places. But we had dinner with Alexander and Francisca. Now, Alexander is a high-level attorney, and he's considering a major shift in his career. So they're traveling from coast to coast in the United States and just kind of opening their mind to some new possibilities, what those would be. Could he possibly transition some of his most marketable skills but live in a smaller, more rural country or area they love like where we live here? but he's an avid listener. Of the 48 days podcast loves hearing these success stories. And I just wanted to pass that on. I mean, that, that's the kind of things people are doing to open their minds, to see things differently. So new options appear. You can't just keep doing the same old things and expect new results. So I commend Alexander and Francis and what they are doing. Well, we're going to wrap that up as our part of our success stories for today and as you know we're gonna hit a little queen here we're the champions have you got a success story shoot it into ask Dan at 48 dayscom or you can just uh, go to the podcast link at 48 daysnet or com rather go to the podcast link and you can share your story there love to hear those stories got a bunch of them that we're sending out to people in the 48 days community today. I'm going to be sending those out. Just some updates, things that are happening with people there. Well, let's go to the questions then from people. This one comes from Liz. She says, Dan, thank you for taking the time to read this email. I'm a fairly new chiropractor. I'm getting to the end of my second year starting to practice chiropractic on my own. At first, I took my table in my old car and went to people's houses or office to do chiropractic adjustments. This lasted for a couple of months until I found a small, small, very warm place to perform chiropractic adjustments. Last year, I collected about $10,000 and spent much more than that. Ouch. It was in the last two weeks that I've just realized the bottom line reason that I've been unsuccessful up until this point, I couldn't sell water to a thirsty man in the desert. I would say that I have a phlegmatic temperament personality. And if you're familiar with the, the disc that would be an S somebody who's very understanding. Now I'm just adding into Liz's note here, but that would be a personality style where somebody's understanding, good listener, compassionate, nurturing, kind, caring, and all of those things but not real outgoing, aggressive dominant and so on. And Liz says, I'm not a high energy person. When I open my mouth to try to tell someone about chiropractic, I haven't been able to make chiropractic care something that people realize they need or want. Although I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt, everybody that receives chiropractic care will function better and more efficiently. I feel like I'm at a crossroads. Do I continue to try to learn how to get people excited about life-changing chiropractic care or do I leave it and do something that comes naturally to me? Because generating excitement in people about something most people are ignorant about does not come easy to me. I'm tired of wasting my efforts telling people about a service that I can provide that I know can help people with some of their problems they've described to me but they aren't willing to pay for this service or even show up to receive the service at no charge. The people have come that have come, have gotten the help they need, and have referred others, but I'm tired of spinning my wheels and being broke. Last month, I could not afford my rent. Use my deposit as my rent, and this month will be my last month in the building. I need to decide what I want to do next as I still have so many bills to pay. Do you have any advice for me? Dr. Liz. Well, Liz, I cringe. I grieve with you at your position and agree something has to change. Now, this is a challenge with a lot of people who are trained professionally doctors, chiropractors, dentists, engineers, accountants, pastors. I mean, we encounter this a lot where people are trained in the specific area of their industry, but they're not trained in the business side. One of the things that we focus on a lot, like at our coaching with excellence event, that's coming up in January and our coaching mastery program, we focus on the psychodynamics of coaching, how to coach well, how to get people to buy in, how to ask the right kind of questions, how to build in accountability, track progress and all that. But, We also focus a lot on the business of coaching, how to make it a profitable business because so many people are not trained in that. Now I've made a very good living over the years, coaching professionals who were struggling with the business of what they were doing. Attorneys, physicians, dentists, chiropractors, which is exactly what you're talking about here. How to do that as a business. You cannot survive just by being able to provide the service. Well, Yes, you, you hit the nail on the head as you describe the challenges you have in selling. But let, let me challenge you a little bit on that. Now, with our coaches, what I tell them is when they say somebody, well, people think I'm too expensive. No, it's never too expensive. You just simply haven't done a good enough job of explaining the benefits. Now, if we, if we view, you know, somebody has a pile of money in their hand and on the other side of the seesaw, let's just visualize that. So you've got a seesaw. So one side is high, one side is low. So we've got on the side that's low is the benefits. On the side that's high are the person's pile of money. Your job is to raise the benefits, to increase the value so that it outweighs the person's money. They'll part with the money if you show enough benefit there. So the challenge is how do you do that? Now, part of what I hear in your question is your own struggle in conveying that value. You sell something well. Selling something well is simply sharing enthusiasm about that product or service. That's all real professional selling is. You're just simply sharing how great this is. You want everybody that you meet to get the benefits of what you're doing. So you're somehow not able to convey your belief in the value of what you're doing. You can work on that. And I would encourage you to do that. Having invested the time, energy and money to become a chiropractor, you're going to encounter the same challenges no matter what it is you do, because everything requires that we sell the value of what it is that we're doing we're all selling. It doesn't matter what kind of position you're You're selling. If you have a job at a company where you sit in a cubicle, you are having to convey the value of what you do every single day you show up. That didn't stop when they gave you a job. You are being interviewed in terms of the value of what you're providing every day when you show up in the morning at eight o'clock. So you're not going to get away from having to do that. If you move into a position where you're no longer going to have to sell the value of what you do, trust me, you're going to be paid $8 an hour. And that's not what you want. You have the skills here. You are positioned as a professional. So you need to work on how to sell effectively what you're doing. Now we, Joanna and I have a massage therapist that comes to our house. Now I love the idea of professionals like this that come to your house. I think that's a admirable practice In the way that you could do that as a chiropractor, I think that has that positions you uniquely. I mean, what if you focused on uh, the elderly people, 65 and older, what if you set up an arrangement with 10 retirement centers in your community where you would go there once a week and set up with your table and do chiropractic adjustments where people did not have to get in a car drive across town somewhere i mean i think that would be a marvelous service and a unique way to build value and a unique positioning into what you do look for ways to do that but then also work on your personal presentation where you can hold your shoulders back head high and describe very succinctly go through that process that i give about how to share what it is that you do. I help blank, know, do or understand blank so that they can blank so that you have a real clear 32nd presentation, what it is that you do and why that has value. Great, great question. Yeah. I don't want you to walk away from that. I want you to become, I want you to learn how to do it with excellence and how to put yourself in the 5% of chiropractors who make extraordinary kinds of income. Well, this question comes from Heather. I want to say thank you for your podcast. I really enjoy listening to it each week. I love your positive attitude, advice, and creativity. You really challenge me and I've learned so much. I have a question for you. My husband and I are encouraging our kids to think and act like entrepreneurs. Our oldest is 13 and in junior high. We're encouraging him to start his own business. He loves succulent plants and wants to do something With them, can you recommend some resources we can use to teach him and our other children about entrepreneurship and starting a business? We would love to create a little business entrepreneur course to take them through. Heather from uh, Wantage, New Jersey. Wow, that's a I I love that. Yeah, absolutely. First thing, I'm going to send you a copy of our biz startup, low cost business ideas. It's got 48 low-cost business ideas in there. Certainly some things to stimulate, not only in terms of business ideas, but how to put legs on those. And you and your kids can have fun going through that. So I'm delighted to send you the 48 low-cost business ideas. Also, here's some other resources. Go to bizkids, That's B I Z K I D S bizkids.com. Tons of resources there. There are videos you can watch about different businesses that kids are doing, how they can do those. Also, if you go to entrepreneur.com and that's going to be the magazine entrepreneur and just simply search entrepreneur kids, lots of great resources there also at Inc.com. They have regular blogs and features that feature, you know, kids. Also, and this is where I'm going to recommend a book, an audio book that you can get, have fun listening to this with your kids here. If you go to audiblepodcast.com 48 days, you can search for Chris Gilliboo's book, The $100 Startup. The $100 Startup, Chris Gilliboo. So if you're not yet an active member in Audible Audible Podcast, you can go there, go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days, put in The $100 Startup and listen with your kids to that book. That'll give them a whole lot of fodder for how to do their own entrepreneurial business. All right. Next question comes from Nanak, Nanak from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Thanks for all you do. I'm really inspired by um, the work you're doing. I've personally been encouraged by your books, weekly podcast. I've been in the fitness industry for about eight years, specifically involved in the sales club management part of the business. I'm curious about your thoughts as it relates to the future of this industry. I'm wondering what you would think because of your experience owning a health club and also because I see you as a very innovative and wise business person. Do you see a great deal of potential and growth? Do you see this as a profitable industry to stay involved in and possibly invest money in? I'm currently working on how to use my experience and knowledge to generate additional sources of income for my family. I'd welcome your advice, ideas, and thoughts. Thanks and God bless. Well, sure there I see the health and fitness industry as an exploding area. I mean, as we have, if you think about the old Maslow's hierarchy, we're at the very bottom. We have safety and security. Now, I just returned from Africa. Joanna and I spent most of November in Africa with our son. There, a lot of people are focused on raw survival. So they're concerned about where they're going to sleep in safety tonight They're concerned about having enough food to eat. Now, when you think about the lives that most of us live, most of you listening to this podcast, that's not our main focus. That's pretty well handled. We've moved up Maslow's hierarchy of needs to things like belonging and self-esteem, personal actualization, and all of those things. So we have the luxury of looking at really excellent health, not just survival, and then we have the baby boomers—a seventy-one and a half million baby boomers who are now, you know, turning sixty at the rate of one every eighteen seconds. Those people are concerned about good health. I mean, look at all the focus we have on health care in our country, in the United States, at least right now. So, yeah, this is going to be a booming industry for years and years to come. So, I, I think there's plenty of possibilities there. Focus on what it is that you want to do in that arena where you come alive, where your passion is. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunities in that arena. Well, here's a question from Tashara who says, I'm a part of the online 48 days.net community, but I'd really like to meet with a 48 days group locally in person i mean, in the Dallas area. Do you have a group here? If not, can I start one? I just think I could benefit from other like-minded individuals in person. Sure, there's a lot of people that have done that. If you go to 48days.net, if you're already a member there, just click on members and then you'll get a little box that dr- opens up and you can put in anybody's name and find them, but you can also put in other search criteria. So put in Dallas. Put in Dallas and you're gonna find a whole lot of people that are from Dallas. You can connect with them. Ask them if they'd be interested in meeting together. If you want, you can start a group. I mean, we approve most of those groups. I don't like to see, you know... Uh, groups in really tiny remote areas where there's likely to be two or three people, but there are very active groups and there there might already be. I did not check to see if there's an already an active group in Dallas on 48days.net. Check that first, but if you want to start your own group, you certainly can. I'm sure we've got lots of people in Dallas who would be excited about that. And there is something about meeting personally. I mean, I have a mastermind group where, There are nine of us, and we range all the way from New York and Florida to Spokane, Washington. We're going to be meeting in person, though, on the 17th, right here at the sanctuary in Franklin. I'm delighted about having all the guys come in here and spend a couple days, but we know the value, even though it's an extra expense and uh, there's some logistical details to be handled. There's a unique value that goes beyond just Skyping or being on the phone together. If you can sit down together in the same room, you know, break bread together, laugh together. So we're going to be doing that. I understand your desire to do that. Well, here's a question from Mike who says, Dan, while listening to your recent podcast, Unusual Habits of High Achievers, I was convinced you must be reading the same book as I am. If not, this is a must read for you. As many of the examples you used are in this book. The book is by Mason Curry and it's called Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. Just wanted to pass on the tip just in case. Well, Mike, I was not reading from that book. When I was doing that section that I did a couple weeks ago on the Unusual Habits of High Achievers, I was working from a list that Robin Sharma had put together. But I did check out Daily Rituals, How Artists Work, and my gosh, it looks like it's excellent i certainly do want to have that so i ordered it immediately it's on its way from amazon with my prime membership now that's not a book that's available on audible i'm not sure why i encourage any author with a book to have an audible version available but that one is not available through audible uh, audible audible.com at least so i ordered it just as a physical book through amazon which is certainly uh, my immediate response to any good book that's recommended Incidentally, I need to go through my office. I've got book stacks uh, um, appearing everywhere, and I need to go through, thin those out. I put books that I go through, and I put them on a special bookcase out in the, the meeting area of the sanctuary here, and then when we have events here, I just tell people to help themselves to any of the books that they want. That's my method of recycling. A lot of great books, but I only have room for probably about 1200 or so in my office and i don't intend to just expand that exponentially so i give away a lot of them after i've read them and don't care about keeping them forever well brian says uh brian from fesno california dan i'm stuck on something from your 48 days book i'm hoping you can clarify the sample intro letter lists several career experiences goals but the sample cover letter only lists one target job How should I structure my cover letter to list the position I'm seeking, but also allow for or list alternative positions I would be interested in, even a position that they may have already posted? In other words, a plan B. It seems like I'm getting nibbles on my resume, but not being considered for other possible positions because it wasn't what I listed in the cover letter. Thanks for all your guidance and help and Merry Christmas. Well, Brian, here's what you do not want to do. You do not want to list have a laundry list of things you would be interested in in your cover letter or in your resume. You want to be very specific. Now think about this. If I have somebody, if I need a cover designed, and so I'm looking for somebody who has design experience and we're interviewing, I say, now I've got a couple other really good candidates for this position. If I choose somebody else for this position. Um, you know, but I also have a couple other positions available. I, I need somebody to do outside sales for our seminars where you'd be contacting, you know, churches and corporations about the possibility of doing the 48-day seminar there. Is that something you'd be interested in as well? Oh, yeah, sure. That sounds cool. I'll try that. You know what that did? That just knocked you out of contention for anything. And that's what this will do. When you are a generalist, it'll give people the impression that you're simply looking for a job. You just want a paycheck. You aren't really clear on what it is you do well, what it is that you have unique value. If you're asked in an interview the kind of question that I just posed there, you just say, no, I appreciate you mentioning that. But no, what I do is design work. That's where my skills are strongest. I need to find something that lines up with that. So you don't want to be a generalist even if you think that you're eliminating things you would enjoy, be very specific in your cover letter about what it is that you're looking for. Now, if in the context of an interview, you know, there's something that's not quite the specific definition, I mean, certainly, I mean, if we say administrative assistant, that covers a wide spectrum of possibilities. So it doesn't narrowly position you to do just one particular thing. You may be making travel arrangements for the boss, but it could cover a whole lot of other things. So there's certainly flexibility with any job title in what you do, but no, you need to be very specific. Don't be a generalist on your resume. It'll kill your opportunities. And the more you are a generalist, the more it'll push you down on the economic side. The more you're a generalist, if you can do everything, you can flip hamburgers or be a greeter at Walmart. I mean, those positions are easy. Everybody's got the skills to do those. So it means you're easy to replace. And if you're easy to replace, it means you're not going to be paid very much. I mean, we can go all the way from there to being a brain surgeon. I mean, brain surgeons are paid a whole lot because there's not a whole lot of people that can step in and do that. It requires a tremendous amount of skill and training to be a candidate for that. So the more you're a generalist, the lower your pay is going to be. So you decide where you want to be in that scale, but the more you position yourself as a unique specialist, the more you're going to raise your pay level. Well, Aaron says, I'm looking at starting consulting work when structuring a fee basis. Is it better to charge by the hour or by a a one-time commission? So like a Saturday seminar for a thousand dollars, I've just started reading through no more Mondays. When you are doing consulting work, only amateurs who are consultants charged by the hour. All right. So just take it from there. Professionals always charge by the project. If you charge by the hour, you know, you're a beginner. You're going to immediately create ceilings for yourself. Here's a book I would recommend million dollar consulting by Alan Weiss. That's a L a N W E I S S million dollar consulting it's updated every couple years. There's a, I'm not sure what the last revision was, but it's current information. Get that. He explains how he as a single individual with a part-time assistant bills over a million dollars a year. He certainly doesn't do that by charging hourly. He does that by billing for projects. So if somebody needs a new sales presentation process, he may say, okay, that's $25,000. Well, you may have three other client companies where they also need a sales process where 85% of the work is kind of boilerplate, where only 15% is the personalization for each individual company. That's the way he leverages his consulting work to get those extraordinary kind of dollars. That's what you want to work toward. Always do it by the project, not by the hour. Forrest from Texas says, in May, I was transitioned to a new job using the 48 Days Principles. During my interview, I was informed that in October, there would be raises based on performance of three to 6%. October 1st, I received an email that the company wasn't giving any raises again this year, so the expected raise wasn't given. During my interview, I didn't argue and told that $19.50 an hour was market value for my position. I'd now like to present numbers proving that the market value of my position is higher. Many companies around here pay $22 to $28 an hour for my position with my experience. However, these numbers are not online or documented. I know it because I know people who have worked for or interviewed with those companies. How can I make a case that I'm underpaid? Well, you can make a case that you're underpaid, but you better be able to document it in terms of how you have increased revenue. You can't just go on general trends. Now you can use things like indeed.com or salary.com to get averages in your geographic area for what it is that you're doing, but that's all they are. They're just averages. Ultimately, you have to sell yourself as being worth of any kind of figure. As I mentioned a little bit ago, you're interviewing every day for the kind of things that you do. And what you want to do is be able to clearly convey the marketable value of what it is you do. Now you can review, I mean, keep track of the things that you've done, the projects you've worked on, how it has decreased cost or increased revenue. You can sit down, ask for a performance review, even if one is not scheduled. I mean, that's fine here at the end of the year. It's a great time to do that. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, you've got to be able to sell the company on you being worth more. Now I just talked a little bit about, you know, my uh, not being a fan of being paid by the hour, certainly not for consulting, high level, things like that. But, you know, I don't pay anybody hourly. We pay for results. I have people who are in charge of certain areas at 48 days and I don't know what their hours are. I don't care what their hours are. What we look for are the results that are being produced. I mean, we've got a couple young guys right now who are working on some... um sales initiatives well i don't know how many hours they're spending on putting together you know email copy and looking at our product offerings and creating new packages and all i mean i'm sure they're spending a lot of time but that has nothing to do with how they're being compensated being compensated is a percentage of revenue Generated, I'd love everything to be like that. I mean, Dave Ramsey, my buddy, he he also and his company with a whole lot of positions. I mean, he'd like to have the front desk receptionist on commission, if there were a way to structure it properly. And perhaps he has. But I mean, everybody ultimately you're paid for what it is you produce. So don't think just because you've been there another hour. I mean, another hour, (laughs) another year that you deserve a raise because you've been there another year. Time has nothing to do with it in today's economy. It's what do you produce? And you may see somebody that got hired last month who's being paid more than you are. Apparently, the company feels like their contribution is worth more. So just make a case for how your contribution is worth more. All right. This comes from Paul. Paul says, this is the third time I'm working the 48 days process. I'm beginning to believe that I don't have any of the skills and abilities that any employer wants. I hate my current J-O-B as I'm in a position where I'm in over my head. Add to that the soul-sucking commute and I'm miserable, tired, and stressed. The stress of being in this position is destroying my life. I've gained weight, depression has worsened, and my relationships are falling apart. My divorce will be finalized the first part of the year. When I attempted the process in the past, I was either unable to speak to the contact or identified or the contact was incorrect. I've concluded I'm not positioning myself correctly or my resume is wrong or I'm headed in the wrong direction. I feel lost in the wilderness. I mentioned this at the beginning as kind of a theme. Do you feel lost in the wilderness? Well, Paul does. Now this is a tough situation. I feel your pain, Paul this is a great time to sit down and look at what do you want 2014 to look like for you now in the goal setting process and i'll put a link to the goal setting process again in the podcast notes so if you just go to 48days.com click on the podcast link this podcast i'll have the goal setting sheets there you want to determine what you want your life to look like. And that goes a long way beyond just work. Work is not the central identity in our lives. And really, you should be the same person if you step out of your job or profession. But who that person is, is defined by the success we have in our relationships, our physical vitality, our spiritual well-being, financial success, what we're doing socially in our communities, what we're doing in personal development. You see, if you've worked through the goal setting process that I use, that I make available to all of you, it asks you, what do you want your life to look like next year in your finances, your health, your personal development, socially, family relationships, spiritually, career, and career is purposely the very last one. A career should be a reflection of the life that you want to live, not the primary vocal point. So I would encourage you to work on the other areas of your life and you'll find that the work becomes better options become available. You'll be a, a more attractive candidate to companies. If you're in great shape personally, physically, you know, in your health, all those other areas that I mentioned, take a fresh look at how you can make big deposits in those areas and it's never just about work. Sometimes we, we get too micro-focused on work, and we think, "Well, if I get the right job, you know, I'll have a wonderful life." Nah, not going to be, not going to make much difference. I mean, having a wonderful life comes from making deposits of success in all those other areas, and most of those don't have a whole lot to do with work. Work is just one tool for a successful life. Now, Paul. Again, I cringe when I hear the level of pain in your message. I'm going to send you a copy of the new, the revised 48 Days to the Work You Love, and also my newest book, Wisdom Meets Passion. I want you to go through that carefully and identify those things that really are meaningful in your life, how you can bring those to the forefront, but how you can have a meaningful life that goes beyond whatever you do as work. Now, you got to have. A job and you got to have a job that's tolerable. But if you increase your well-being in some of those areas, I suspect that even your frustration at work will diminish dramatically. Matt says, my situation is that I'm struggling to become a full-time real estate agent. I work a full-time job and desperately want to quit, but I'm very afraid to give up the steady income. I'm thinking of presenting my boss with a plan where I could still work part time, maybe even from home. That way I still have some income coming in while I work to build my real estate business. What are some ways to present this to my employer and making it appealing to them while allowing me to free up my time? This transition has been very difficult for me and is going on two years. So I need to make a change. Thanks for all the inspiration. Well, Matt, I mean, if you're talking about just doing a little eBay business on the side, or, um, you know, doing a, a lawn care business on a side. I mean, that's one thing when you talk about being a real estate agent, yeah, it's pretty hard to just kind of do that a little bit on the side. I mean, that's one of those things that you need to be available, reasonable hours. When people want you, you need to be on top of getting new listings, spending time going out, knocking on doors, you know, getting new listings, connecting with other people in the industry getting to know people in the banking and mortgage industry, or we're going to be referring to you. I mean, that's a pretty uh, all encompassing thing to be in. And I, I think it's hard to do that with just kind of one foot in the water. So to speak, if you've been doing this for two years, you, you should have some things in your funnel, but it shouldn't take that much. When, when we think about real estate is one of those things that gives you effectively a big shovel financially, I mean, I, I have a client right now who who I'm working with who has a closing that he thinks just went up in smoke. He's not sure it's going to close, but his commission was going to be $300,000, his commission on that one closing. Now it's, an it was a big, big business, but that was his commission was going to be, he's used to those kind of commissions. You don't need a whole lot of those to replace whatever it is you're doing as a job. I mean, even if you're doing just residential real estate where you're selling $200,000 houses, I mean, you ought to be able to make, you know, $5,000, $6,000 on a closing. So if you package those together, if you're only doing one a month, which would really be kind of a, a slow schedule, you ought to be able to replace the income that you're getting now, even if your income is double that, you know, plan on two a month. But I think you ought to work at aggressively getting full time into the real estate. Work on how you're marketing, how you're getting listings, what your referral sources are, what your connections are. If you're going to do that, you know, give yourself 90 days to just transition into that full time. Dana from Decatur, Georgia says, I've heard that seven hours a day needs to be devoted to your job search for it to be successful. How is this possible if you're already working full time? And not to mention children and other obligations, even with the 48 days method, it takes time to do letters and cover letters for 15 to 20 companies, not to mention the time researching, customizing the letters for each company. just seems like I'll never have any success in my job search because it's so time consuming. I have to survive in the meantime. I appreciate your insight. Thank you from Dana. Well, Dana, thanks for your question. It can seem overwhelming and certainly You know, I talk about in the job search process in 48 days that you ought to be spending 30 to 35 hours a week. Now that that's not really seven hours a day, but yeah, it takes some time to do that. But we're talking about a very short, focused burst of intense activity. We're not talking about something that goes on months and months and months. That's why I use the 48 days as a timeline. Yeah. For 48 days, boom, you ought to be able to just, you're going to not be able to do some of the other things that you want to do as a wife and mom. But it's a very short period of time. This is what mom is focused on right now. You're going to really put intense effort into this. But but really, when you think about what most of the job search requires, so you're doing the research, you're identifying your target companies, that can be done after the kids are asleep at night. That's not something that interferes with your daily thing. The only thing that it's going to interfere with your daily activities really is the actual interviews, You can send out your cover letters, your resumes, do your phone follow-ups, you know, at your lunch break. This is doable. I mean, it really is. And I'm not one to say, just quit your job and then just do this. No, I'm not a bridge burner in that way. You can do this while you are working, but confine everything that you need to do to the 48 days. And then you'll see light at the end of the tunnel, go into the next season of your life. James says, Dan, just listen to your podcast podcast from eleven eight, and heard about how the 48 days helps you to be persistent about job hunting. But what if you, what do you do if calling emailing and visiting companies can be intimidating and a hindrance towards you not getting the job? Well, we're into this job search question again. And with that, you got to stay in the driver's seat. You have to sell yourself. You have to call email and visit companies Can it be intimidating? Yeah. Do we need to change who you are naturally and make you that real outgoing in your face kind of person? No, but you need to see this as a means to an end. In this case, you need to sell yourself. Well, if you just send out resumes and never pick up the phone to call, you're going to have a real difficult time. You're going to be convinced nobody's hiring. The economy is bad. That's what people conclude if they're just sending out resumes because companies aren't going to pick up the phone and call you. You need to follow up aggressively. That's why in the 48 Days Job Search, we have that process outlined very clearly. You call, you follow up. If you just send out resumes and hope to get a job, you need to send out about 250 to have any shot statistically at getting a job. That's about how it works. If you do an introduction. Deduction letter before your cover letter and resume, and a phone follow up as I recommend in the forty eight days job search, that number drops to about one out of fifteen, about one out of fifteen. So if you send out forty five cover letters and resumes, you ought to get three job offers if you're following through with the other steps of the process. That's why there's a a chapter in 48 days about six job offers in 10 days. That's a very accurate, real story from a young guy just out of college. Not a whole lot to go on, but he did the process really well because he didn't know any other way to do it, and he had six job offers in 10 days. But you got to do those steps, even if it's intimidating. Nobody else cares as much about your success and about your next opportunity as you. Trust me. Tiffany says, Now, this one's pretty tough. says Dan, I love your books, materials, or show. I listen every week, at least twice, because I don't want to miss anything. Thanks for taking my question. I'm an actor. That's all I've ever wanted to be. Thanks to 48 Days, I'm opening myself up to making money in non-traditional ways so I can keep my schedule free for editions and bookings. But I find myself dedicating more energy to the side hustles than acting itself. I have to catch myself. Sometimes I feel like I'm getting away from the point of why I want various streams of income. How do I create alternate income and stay committed to my craft that isn't paying my bills? Tiffany, you've got a tough one there. I mean, I know a lot of people. My publisher, Matt Bauer, from, uh, who, who's a publisher at Thomas Nelson, is an actor. He's a marvelous actor. They just did *Lay Miz at the factory here in Franklin, major production, and he was He was the bad guy. I forget the name, but he was the guy that was chasing, you know, the hero all the way through the story, trying to catch him. He's a marvelous actor. Now, is he going to make enough money doing that to quit his job being publisher at Thomas Nelson? I don't think so. I don't think that's even his goal. I mean, Nan Gurley is out here in the sanctuary right now as part of the art class. She's a magnificent actress, is in all kinds of productions. But I don't think she, I mean, I know she doesn't make enough money doing that to ever, you know, make a living. It's just part of what she does. Most people who do acting don't try to make that their primary source of income. Now, this may sound counter to some of the ways I tell people to follow their passion, just be extraordinary. Now, if you can be the next, you know, Matt Damon. Damon or Harrison Ford or somebody, I mean, more power to you. I don't have an easy process for all the things that have to converge to make that happen. So I would encourage you to not make acting your focal point for creating income. Do other things that are meaningful to you as well. If you are well-balanced, you're energetic, you're excited, you're full of life and vitality, and excited about your life in general, it'll make you more attractive as an actor or actress and make you more more of a candidate to be chosen for primary roles. But I think you need to focus on this being part of your life, not the central focus. Golly, I almost apologize for framing it in that way because I so often go a different direction and saying, hey, just do what I, 95% of the other people are not doing and rise to the top. And I certainly believe in that as a process that is possible. Well, a couple more here, real quick. Mark says, Dan, I have an idea for a product. It's not an uncommon item that could be redesigned and have any kind of graphics put on it. It could be sold to businesses for them to use for promotional ideas, ideas to retailers, to individuals. I could get licensed logos and brands put on it. The possibilities seem endless. However, this is something I have zero experience in. I will need some serious guidance, but don't have a lot of money to put up. How would you recommend proceeding? I was thinking of doing Kickstarter to raise funds that I could use for a coach plus other startup expenses. What do you think? Your idea is going to have to be way more defined if you're going to have any success on a place like Kickstarter. Kickstarter is not a place to have money. People just give you money so you can get a coach to figure out how to do a business it's not going to work. You'll just frustrate yourself and waste a lot of time and energy. I would encourage you to check out a site like Quirky. I've talked about them before. I love what they're doing, getting their updates and looking at some of the processes they've got. Quirky, dot com. I mean, they take ideas that are not really fully developed and just kind of put it in the mix. Other people add their Input, if it really develops into something, they do something with it, you get a percentage of the profits. I encourage you to do that. With all the things that you talk about that you don't really understand how to do it, it's a whole lot to learn to try to push through one little idea. Connect with other people who are on the same path, and you can do that through places like Quirky. You can do that through 48days.net. I mean, Laura and Marissa, who just did a book release here, I mean, they didn't know how to put a book together. They didn't know how to do graphics. They reached out in the 48days.net community and had got some amazing help and assistance from people who helped them put that together and create the beautiful product that they ended up with. Um, let me, let me just grab one more here. This comes from John. Who says, Dan, I've been at my current job for 13 years and made my way up to management, but feel I'm better than that and prefer to boss myself, not others. I dread going to work every day, knowing that I rely on others to finish work so I can go home. I put so much time in there. I miss my family since this is my first job ever. I feel scared to start over. I make the only income and feel stuck since I have a family to support. I've had dreams of starting a food truck business, but don't have the money to start. Don't want debts. since we're following the Dave Ramsey plan. Any help or ideas you can give would be a blessing. Thanks for what you do. Now, when you talk about things that you want to do, or like having a food truck business, start with what you've got. Now, last week I talked about my landscaping guy here, Noe, who is a hispanic guy with a sixth grade education and he helped his dad start a little business down in mexico where they sell popsicles now if you remember that story i mean they have freezers they know he purchases freezers here takes them down there they make popsicles they go into little local markets offered to place a freezer in there at no cost to the merchant at all they come back the next week and see how many popsicles are sold of the revenue generated, Noe gets 60%. The merchant keeps 40. So it's a very easy kind of business proposal, win-win for everybody. Noe now has 820 freezers in place, generating between six and $7,000 a day. Now he grew that from nothing. No debt, had no capital invested. Well, he did. He invested about $300 on the front end for the first couple freezers. That's what they did. They grew the business based on the profits that were generated as they went along. Look for ideas like that. Look for things that are not capital intensive. There's a whole lot of ideas, things you can do. I mean, pick up my 48 low cost business ideas. There's a whole lot of things you can do with very little, if any, capital at all, where you can start a very profitable business. If you have the urge to be working for yourself, I mean, I certainly encourage you to scratch that itch, to explore the opportunities there, to look at the things that you can do. I mean, there's just too many ideas to be content not exploring something, but you don't need to burn any bridges, work on a business model. When you have a business model up and running and it's generating 50% of what your current income is, that's kind of my benchline formula for, okay, you know that it's increasing. If you then put all your time and effort into it, you can easily duplicate and bypass your current income. That's a good model to have. Look at doing it in that way. Well, hey, we're going to wrap up. This is a great time of year to be making all these plans, to reevaluating what you're doing in your job, to be asking for a performance review and an increase if you think it's merited, if you can justify having done that, if you can show the value in what you've done. Hey, remember the question that I asked at the outset of the show here, if you could have anything you want in life without exception, as long as it's not something you can get on your own, what would it be? Make your wish list, but then look realistically at how those things are going to come into view. Do you need to be lucky in the right place, win the lottery, get an inheritance, or are those all things that you can make happen because you're in the driver's seat with this process? I suspect you'll recognize how much you're in the driver's seat. That's what we want you to see. Hey, this is Dan Mellar again, your 48 Days Coach here. I love this time spent with each of you this week, each week as we go through the questions. Thanks for being part of this amazing community where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less.